Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Luke chapter 2 at verse 39. And so let's stand for the reading of God's Word. This is Luke chapter 2, verse 39 to the end of the chapter. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. And the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he became twelve, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey. They began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. But when they did did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and men. This is the word of the Lord. Good God. Be seated. So we have these perplexing statements in this in this passage about Jesus, who, who is the Son of God, increasing in wisdom and knowledge and stature with both God and men. And, of course, when, when we're putting our minds to the incarnation, that's one of the things that we, we begin to contemplate, is how, how infinite God can take on a body and be a... Um, be a, a, a helpless baby, right, lacking the control of muscles and, and uh, whacking himself in the head with his hand, and yet being Almighty God, the one who created muscles, the one who created the hand. And so, um, and, the, and then we get these, these few glimpse, glimpses in Scripture about Jesus' growth and his, his growth in... Um, in knowledge, in wisdom, in grace, in favor. But we know that the Scripture teaches us quite clearly that Jesus was God. Where would you go to prove that Jesus was God from the Scriptures? Where's the first place you would go? John 1.1 In the beginning was the Word. You say the rest of it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And um, 
And so that is, that is loudly teaching. Uh, when you couple it with verse 14 of chapter 1, it's loudly teaching that, uh, that Jesus was the eternal Word of God, the Son of God. Um, and then picking up verse 14 of John chapter 1, the Scriptures teach us quite clearly that Jesus became a man. And the Word, which we just said was God, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, these two simple things, that Jesus was God and Jesus became a man, if you don't believe those things, then you're not a Christian. Right? These are fundamental Christian doctrines. Um, Those two amazing things, right? Philippians brings those two strands together, doesn't it? It says this, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although what? He existed in the form of God. (laughs) Who, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being made in the likeness of men. <laughs> he went to Clear Note Pastors College. <laughs> um, being... F- Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So there we have, he he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, instead emptied himself and took on the the, um, form of a slave and was made in the likeness of men. So both God and man um, there together. Um, the Orthodox Church has always taught this, eternally begotten Son of God incarnated. Eternally begotten Son of God made flesh, taking on the flesh. In various ways, all of the early creeds of the church that we confess, uh, the Athanasian Creed, the Chalcedonian Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, make that point, that Jesus was perfect God and perfect man. Uh, fully God and fully man. He was the second person of the Trinity and the second Adam. He was the um, son of God, but also the son of of Joseph and Mary. It's pretty extraordinary to contemplate the convergence of those two things, deity and humanity together. Knowing, Knowing by experience what you know, which is only humanity, pretty extraordinary to think that perfect deity could be strapped with this flesh, right? Of course, he, he, he was not strapped with the flesh in the same sense that we are. We'll get there in a sense, in, a, in time. There are times when Scripture gives us an understanding of Jesus as God, and other times when it focuses on giving us an understanding of Jesus as a man. Um, you don't want to always make that distinction between the two, but there are ways in which it's helpful to think through that. For example, the book of Hebrews teaches us just how Jesus was a man, 
and why that was important. Hebrews 2 says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. So he partook of flesh and blood. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And what's propitiation? What's propitiation? satisfying the wrath of God. Whenever you hear the word propitiation, think of God being angry at sin. Okay? And then Jesus becoming the object that satisfies the wrath of God against sin. Okay, so propitiation. Good word. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered... He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. In other words, as God, Jesus, as God, Jesus was never tempted to sin. He was never tempted to sin. But as man, um, if he had not been tempted in similar ways to us, he would not have been a real man. Part of what it means to be a real man is that temptations are real temptations. Nonetheless, his temptations differed from ours in what sense? He didn't have a, He wasn't born with a sin nature, right? Remember when we had that sermon on impeccability way back in the day? He didn't have. He wasn't. He was not born in the normal method, um, born of a virgin and the Holy Spirit, right? We're just born of a mom and a dad who, and we inherit sinful corruption. Right? He didn't inherit that sinful corruption. So our temptations arise from our sinful nature just within us. Jesus' temptations do not arise that way. Right? They're external to him. Okay, Whatever that means. Right? His temptations differed from ours in that he was not inhibited by a sinful nature as we are. His temptations were outside of him, whereas ours arise from inside. Also, as God, Jesus never suffered, right? But as a man, as the passage above said, he suffered. He suffered as a man. He knew the infirmities of the flesh. He got hungry, right? After 40 days in the wilderness, he was probably very hungry, right? And that is what Scripture says. It testifies and says he was hungry. He had pain in his stomach. He probably had a terrible headache. Elsewhere in Hebrews, we read this, although he was a son, he learned obedience through the things he had suffered. And then again, we're we're like, okay, how can God learn something? How can God Almighty learn obedience from the things which he suffered? So scripture does a good job of teaching us that Jesus was both God and man, God incarnated, God in the flesh. It's necessary for scripture to teach us that Jesus was God it's just as necessary that we learn that Jesus is God as it is to learn that Jesus was a flesh and blood man. As I've said before, most heresies begin when you go off on the rails on one side or the other. 
deny his deity and he's just a man, deny his manhood and he's transcendent, distant, far from us God, right? And cannot sympathize, cannot relate, cannot represent man. Um, <clears throat> get uncomfortable with Jesus' deity, he becomes a mere man. Get uncomfortable with Jesus' humanity and he becomes a phantom God. He just, uh, you know, uh, appears to be a man. Now, in, in this passage that we just read from Luke, we learn, we learn this about Jesus. He was, a man, <clears throat> he was a man who grew just like you and I do. I love it when kids say that when they're being taken out. It's so encouraging. Because it means that there's actual parents are actually disciplining their children. It's great. Don't spank me. If we did timeouts, they'd be like, "Please put me in timeout. Can we please go out of the sanctuary?" Um. So we learn we learn this about Jesus. He was a man who grew just like you and I do. In verse forty, we read the child continued to grow and become strong. He continued to grow. He wasn't born an adult. He wasn't um, created an adult like Adam was, like the first Adam. Um, he, he was born a baby. He went through teething and potty training. His voice changed when, when he got to about 13, Zeke. His, uh, his muscles grew as he learned carpentry. And he became an adult. And Now, what is significant about that? Well, very simply, it proves that he was really and truly a man. He grew just like a man would grow. He grew in the same sense that all of us have grown. And um, he was a man just like you and me, except he didn't do one thing. He didn't sin against his Father in heaven. Did all of that learning and growing and struggling without sin. Ryle, J.C. Ryle says, of all the sinless conditions of man's body, its first feebleness, its aftergrowth, its regular progress to maturity, he was in the fullest sense a partaker. So just fully um, given to all the uh, growing pains of, of youth and beyond. In other words, there is nothing sinful. I mean, think about this. There's nothing sinful about the fact that babies are born weak. Right, they're, they're, they're weak. They are, they're made that way and they come from the womb weak. There's nothing sinful about the fact that we are born weak and normally grow taller and fatter. Now our sin may stunt our growth. Our sin may stunt our growth, but there is nothing sinful about the normal progression of a man from a zygote to an infant to an adolescent to an adult. And, and that is the way God made things work, and that is the process that Jesus himself went through as a man. Now, why is this important? Because a bunch of heretics deny this sort of regular progression. They just say that Jesus seemed to be a man, right? But no, we say, no, Jesus was a zygote. Jesus was a couple cells. You may have to take over with Ruth over here, okay? Thomas, you're not doing such a good job. <clears throat> Don't spank me. 
Um, so, so think through that. I mean, just uh, as, you, as you hold a child, think through that Jesus was at one point, the Almighty God was this size. And um, it was not sin that Jesus as a baby struggled to coordinate those muscles and bring his hand to his mouth. That's not sin, that's just weakness. Um, it was simply being a man that caused that struggle. I think that part of this is easy for us to accept. The more difficult statement is what this passage says about Jesus increasing in wisdom. What does it mean that Jesus increased in wisdom? Um, it's stated in verse 40 and in 52. Now again, our struggle comes because we understand that Jesus as God is omniscient. What does it mean? Some child tell me what the word omniscient means. Does anybody know that word? All the kids in Sunday school should know what the word omniscient means. All-knowing. All right. All-knowing. So what does that mean? What does it mean that God is all-knowing? You can't just restate the definition in the definition. He knows everything? Like what kind of everything? What does he, he knows, okay, he sees and knows everything, right? He knows, he knows, um, he knows the composition of everything, he knows how everything works, he knows history, he knows how he's laid out things to happen in history, forward and backward, he knows all the contingencies of everything that he would ever have uh, laid out. There is no knowledge that he does not have. And so here we have this, you know, Jesus is God, as God is omniscient, there is nothing that he doesn't know. The very universe was created by him and for him. All things hold together in Jesus. Yet as a man, he went through the process of growth and wisdom, <clears throat> growth and understanding, growth and knowledge. He learned as he went along as a man. He learns carpentry from his father, Joseph. He actually learned it. Um, though he was the one who created the very knowledge necessary to make a structure. And he was the one who created wood and stones and glass. Um, Jesus was really a man and so like man, he learned how to do things. He learned along the way. Now, this, does this mean that he stopped being fully God? No. No. Of course it doesn't. It does not mean that somehow he lost part of his eternal attributes. We see a knowledge in the adult Jesus. Think of later on what we know from him. We see a knowledge in the adult Jesus and a power in the adult Jesus that can only be attributed to God. Knowledge of someone's past. Right? Just knowledge that they hadn't revealed. He had ability to discern thoughts. Remember when the Pharisees are talking or, or thinking things and he, he knows what they're thinking. He um, predicts the future in specificity, not like the palm reader. Right? He says that some things are shortly about the past and they came to pass. He has, uh, here's the humdinger, right? He raised somebody from the dead. He has power over death. 
He, he calls Lazarus out of the, the, the uh, tomb. J.I. Packer says, The impression is not so much of deity reduced as of divine capacities restrained. Okay, it's not deity reduced, it's divine capacities restrained. And then Packer goes helpfully uh, on to explain that these restraints appear so that he could, as he had always done eternally, do what? These restraints appeared so that he could, as a man, do what he had done eternally. And I'm glad I I found Packer saying this. So that he could submit to the Father. So that he could submit to his Father. Um, He would be and always will be the Son. And the Son submits to the Father. Right? We could go to 1 Corinthians and uh, 11. We could go to 1 Corinthians chapter, um, blanking on the other chapter, 15, that speaks of this. Again, when it comes to these difficult but absolutely essential teachings of Scripture, I, it's always good to stand on the uh, shoulders of, of uh, giants. Here's how Calvin explains what it means that Jesus grew in wisdom. He says that these, word, these words in Luke show that the endowments of his mind grew with his age. Hence, we infer that this progress or advancement relates to his human nature. For divine nature can receive no increase. Divine nature can't get better, right? And so this this refers to his human nature. Calvin goes on to say, look, when Scripture says that he was made like unto his brothers, us, and was in all points tempted like as we are, sin accepted, it should be obvious that his soul was subject to ignorance. Then he says, there is only this difference between us and him, that the weakness which presses upon us by a necessity which we cannot avoid were undertaken by him voluntarily, that as, um, and of his own accord. So we were born with the weakness he voluntarily takes it on in that condescension that we read about in Philippians chapter 2. He emptied himself, right? And so we read of that. All right, as a man, Jesus grew in strength of body and of mind. So what applications can we make out of this teaching? What difference does it make to us that Jesus took upon himself these weaknesses, these limitations, that as a man he had to grow? How does this encourage you as a Christian? How do, what applications would you make from, from this text? Children, what does it mean? What, how does it help you to know that Jesus grew in, in knowledge, grew in wisdom? What do you think? Any thoughts? <coughs> Not just children. <clears throat> all y'all. Jesus had to grow and learn, then so do we. Yeah, I mean, and that's mind-boggling, isn't it? That's like, if Jesus had to grow and learn, if Jesus had to develop, if Jesus had to learn obedience through the things he suffered, then who are we to complain when we have to learn and we have to grow and we have to struggle? Right? If Jesus did, 
then we've got our work cut out for us. Okay? How else? <clears throat> okay. Yeah, he can, he can, um, he knows what it's like to be um, a teenager. <laughs> he knows what it's like to be a toddler from not just because he has omniscient knowledge, but from actual experience. Um, he knows what it is to be, he knows what it is to suffer in his flesh, to know agonizing pain, right? And, and, that's, and that was all for the purpose, his sufferings were the pur- for the purpose of learning obedience to his father, that submission to the father. So if, if again, if, again if it's the argument from the greater to the lesser, right? If Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered, how much more should we be learning those things? If he is learning how to submit to his Father through that, how much more will we learn to submit to the Father through these things? <clears throat> Any other thoughts? Yeah, yeah, that is verse 51, right? And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them, to Mary and Joseph. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. She's like, this is great stuff. She's just sitting back watching what's going on and fascinated. And, um, and yet he continued in subjection to them. He, their creator, submits to them as their parents. Now there's a good lesson for um, there's a good lesson for all of us, right? Jesus submitted to sinful authority, right? And honored his mother and his father, right? And so um, children learn something from that. Even if your parents are numbskulls, you're still called to honor them and obey them. And they are numbskulls. Right, Andrew. I was asked, I was talking to myself, not, not to you. <clears throat> In Romans twelve, Paul writes, "For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure, measure of faith." Um, in Jesus, we have the perfect example of a man who did not think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Think back to that Philippians passage. Um, have this attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being made in the likeness of men. If, you ever, if anyone ever had an opportunity to state his credentials... Right, to protest at having to do something below his station, it was Jesus Christ. Though equal with God, though being God, did not protest but became a slave and a, a man. <clears throat> he took on this task willingly in obedience to the Father, right down to the incredible ridiculousness of living for nine months in a woman's womb. Jesus has given us a perfect example of loving submission and obedience and humiliation, perfectly accepting certain boundaries from his Father 
though equal with him. And we'll continue to get, you know, and so, so Jesus has accepted those boundaries. But we continue to get angry with God about where he has put us. What station he hasn't given to us or what he has done all right and the things that God really has, has botched. What boundaries has he placed on you? When we think about Jesus being hungry, of of Jesus suffering physically on the cross, of Jesus having to learn as a man, we should be incredibly grateful for this example of humility. Our pride flares up so quickly, doesn't it? And yet here's Almighty God hanging from a cross in obedience to the Father. Someone says something to us and, and... Behind it is a clear misunderstanding of our life experience, our education, our talent. So we get offended, we protest, we start listing our credentials and the names of our famous friends. We will not let the moment pass without letting this other ignorant person know that uh, we are not as ignorant as they're common implied. Our pride flares up and we will not be taught, though Jesus was taught. Though Jesus... Almighty God hung from a tree. Our pride flares up and we will not be forced to grow, though Jesus grew voluntarily. Our pride flares up and will not be silent, though Jesus did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. Right? He had every reason to be able to open his mouth at that point. He was righteous and innocent. And yet he did not defend himself. He did his father's work. Why not rather be wronged and follow Jesus in humility? Why not rather be taught and follow Jesus Christ's example of humility? Why not rather think less of yourself and accept discipline? Will you grow in wisdom or have you already arrived? Right? Jesus grew in wisdom, but but you've arrived. (laughs) I mean, it's laughable to think about that. Are you an unmovable object, a donkey that brays when pushed? Right? Have you known persons like this? Um, <clears throat> uh, I mean, I, I am proud. I hate my pride. I hate my pride. I hate, and, and I hate how I don't hate my pride enough. Right? I hate my wounded feelings how wounded my feelings get at times. My children suffer because of my pride. My wife suffers because of my pride. And the church that the Lord has called me to lead suffers because of my pride. I'm constantly, as I imagine you are, battling with your pride, sometimes winning, often losing. Um, At times we think we can argue ourselves out of any situation. At times our pride looks like this. I can refute, I can, I can, um, At other times, our pride looks like I refuse to argue myself out of this situation. I'm not going to deal with that person. Um, Sometimes I'll take what I know and use it against others. Sometimes I'll take what God has given me and refuse to use it to warn others. Right? My pride makes my tongue wag at, at, at the wrong times, and my pride keeps my mouth shut at the wrong times. My pride lashes out in anger. My pride, at times, quietly withholds affection. Um, 
regardless of when it is at work, prideful men and women refuse to be taught, they refuse to grow, they refuse to learn, they refuse to yield, they refuse to submit, they refuse to drop down even a few notches, even though we have an example in Almighty God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, doing all of those things. He did not regard equality with God something to to hold tenaciously to. So fight your pride remembering the great humility of Jesus Christ. Um, One more application of this that I alluded to earlier. Jesus was a baby. Jesus was a child. Jesus was a teenager. And he knew the particular limitations of each of those stages. Jesus knows the particular temptations of children. I mean, think about that, children. The things that you struggle with are not maybe the things that your parents struggle with, but Jesus knows about them, so you can pray to him about them, and he's sympathetic. right? He knows the temptations you have to lie. He knows the temptations that you have to dishonor your parents because he was a child in Joseph and Mary's house, yet without sin. He knows what temptations come upon a young man after puberty. He knows what temptations come in adulthood. Think of the devil's temptations of Jesus in the desert. Food, pleasure, and kingdoms. Those probably are a lot of the temptations that face adults. Food, pleasure, kingdom. Regardless, though, I think what we often believe is that Jesus was born an adult and didn't know the trial, joys and trials, the tenderness and temptation of our younger days. He did. He lived through them, and he learned obedience through the things he suffered. So children, will you learn in humility through the things you suffer? Growing pains, unfulfilled desires, and all that. Or will you learn just to be angry because you don't have stuff, or friends, or relationships? I'm afraid that the things I supposedly suffered when I was a young man drove me further from God. I became a cynic. I became a malcontent. I became a blasphemer. I was a prideful jerk. Right? I refused to be taught by God. In some sense, I, though a mere man, did regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. And that's just so scandalous to say that. You become your own God. Not so Jesus. Never did Jesus go that way. So parents and grandparents can teach your kids this lesson. Jesus, the Son of God, grew in wisdom through His incarnated life. If Jesus viewed the authority of His Father in this way, teach your children to yield to that authority as well. How much more do they, do we, do all of us need to grow in wisdom? Um, Jesus was wisdom incarnate. We are sinfully, sinful descendants of Adam who are dead. And so we have great reason to grow and to be humble and follow in the example of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we pray that in seeing Jesus as, as the one who, being God, learned obedience through the things he suffered, who grew in wisdom and knowledge as a man. Father, I pray that that would cause us to be humble, 
to check ourselves and to think through how, how we have refused to grow, refused to grow in wisdom. And so, Father, I pray that, that we would have humility. And Father, we know that this humility can only come if your spirit lives within us, if you have regenerated our hearts, that you have made us alive. If if we are dead in our sins, we will just remain proud, refuse to be taught, and die in our sins. And so work in those hearts that are not regenerate, so that they may learn and know the humility that comes from you. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.